pray. Amen. Uh, Galatians chapter 3 then, um, beginning in verse uh, 15, and he's been making this, uh, this contrast between the works of the law and hearing by faith. Uh, being concerned that there are some that are leading uh, the churches, uh, the Christians in Galatia, uh, away from how they initially received the gospel, hearing the promise of God and relying on it. Uh, and instead thinking that circumcision or other like laws, uh, especially even from scripture, are what are required uh, for them in order to be have a place with God, to belong to his people, uh, to be acceptable, to be approved. And he continues that on, and you'll hear a lot of things in this about faith as we go through here, and especially about God's promise, uh, faith in God's promise, and how uh, that relates uh, to the law. Um, so uh, Galatians chapter 3, beginning in verse 15, uh, hear the word of God. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now... The promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions, until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now, an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But Scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many as of you as were baptized into Christ Jesus have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ... And you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Grass withers, uh, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord uh, endures uh, forever. Uh, I've gotten into the show Arrow. 
Uh, I think I've heard of a few people on RUF uh, watching Arrow. Uh, but uh, but I've, I, I'm still on Netflix and that, so I'm not like up to date on the current uh, things of the show. So don't worry, I won't give any, any spoilers to anything. If there are spoilers to give, I don't really know. Uh, but, I, but I really enjoyed it, just getting uh, drawn into it. But pretty early in watching the show, I noticed something about the main character, Oliver Queen, that he shared a certain... Uh, family characteristic that early in the show we saw from his dad and certainly from his mother uh, that there's lots and lots of times in the show uh, that he makes promises. He continues again and again to make a promise. You hear him say, I promise you I'll never let this happen. I promise you I will keep you safe. And as the show goes on and you hear more of these promises and more of these promises, at least maybe by the first season, certainly by the second season, Whenever I heard him say that, I had this like foreboding feeling going on. Like, what, what's going to come next and what's going to get in the way uh, of him being able to fulfill that promise? Uh, one thing after another seems to either make it difficult or make it impossible for him to do that. Whether you watch the show or not, or maybe you see the show differently, that's fine. But it, but it just reminded me uh, how difficult it is to trust people. Um, the show kind of goes in there, here's all these lies, and here's how how's it go. When someone's making these promises, sometimes it's so difficult for us to trust. And the bigger the promises are, the, the harder it is to trust, typically. And the more important to us that those promises are, uh, the more uh, quickly we start to feel that foreboding expectation that maybe the promise isn't enough. Maybe it's not fulfilled. Or maybe there's something else that it will take in order for things really to work out. <laughs> for, the, for the Galatians, that doubt, that type of doubt and, and foreboding expectation had been introduced. That question had been introduced, not just about uh, one another's uh, promises of how we might trust one another, but in terms of the promises that God had made. Uh, as people would come uh, from Jerusalem, uh, here's this church in Galatia. They'd heard this uh, promise from God. They've heard the hope of the gospel, uh, received it in faith. But now someone's saying, wait, yeah, that's not enough. If you really want to be part of God's people, if you want to belong to him and have approval with God, then have to be circumcised. There's these laws. You've got to understand the Old Testament. You've got to go back and hear this law of Moses and what it means to be God people, God's people and how we need to keep that. And just with those, uh, those questions being inserted, those uh, doubts uh, drawing up, it begins uh, to erode at their faith. <clears throat> their faith begins to like spin wildly like a compass near a magnet going, where, where do I put my trust? What can I rely on? What can I uh, hope on? Am I enough? Is something else enough? Where do I go to in this? And in this passage, here's what Paul's doing. Uh, he's reaffirming uh, for them and for us the freedom to trust God's promises. That when God makes a promise, uh, he keeps it and is able to keep it. And all that we need and all that God asks of us is to throw ourselves on his promise. Uh, to hope in him. Uh, that that is enough for us. Paul's reaffirming it. He's proving it uh, through the passage and going through these Old Testament things and talking about Abraham and talking about some of the origin uh, of this. So as we go through the passage, we're going to look at three different uh, sides. We're going to look at the promise, we're going to look at the law, and we're going to look at the impact. Saying so how do these things uh, fit together? The promise, the law, and the impact. 
As we go through, I'd encourage you to ask yourself, um, where is that freedom to trust God's God's promises? Maybe what are the things that encroach upon that freedom, that encroach upon that reliance, and other things that we look to? Uh, But how does this reaffirm for us that what God promises, he gives, and we get to freely bask in it and celebrate it? Uh, even in lives lived uh, for, for him. So first of all, the promise. Uh, the promise as still valid. And I see this in verse uh, thir- uh, verse 17. You see it all the way through uh, this, the early verses of this section. But he even says here, this is what I mean. The law, which came 40, 430 years afterwards, does not annul a covenant, a covenant promise previously ratified by God. Uh, it does not, it cannot uh, make the promise void. Promise is something that you see all through Scripture. You, you could really say from the opening chapters in Genesis all the way through Revelation, uh, one way of viewing it is that it's all about God's promise. Uh, God's promise uh, to his people that he made in his image and formed and placed in the world that he made. The purpose that he'd set for them, the goal that he had set for them. And then you especially start to see that promise form when humanity fell. Uh, falls when humanity fails uh, to uh, follow God's rules and God's law. It's it's there even in this uh, curse that's given uh, to the, the serpent along in Genesis three, where he begins to say, "There's hope that's coming. There's a promise of redemption there that starts to be filled out all the way through Scripture." And it's in Revelation that harkens back to these uh, things in, in the first chapters of Genesis that you see, "Oh, God's God's fulfilling it, even though we ran the other way." Even though we couldn't follow his law, even though we abandoned it, here you see, uh, again, the tree of life that had been in the middle of the garden uh, is in the middle of this new city uh, where God's presence is all around, and we get to share in him. But but especially here, uh, he comes to Abraham. Uh, Promise, sometimes in scripture, is very close uh, to this term covenant, Uh, this this deal, this relationship, uh, this agreement of God making promises to his people. And that comes along early in Genesis chapter 12, chapter 15, chapter 17, of God making a promise to Abraham. Now, the the issue in in, in Galatia is people coming and saying, hey, if you want to be God's people, there's things that you have to follow. Circumcision is one of those things. Circumcision is... See, in Genesis 15 of God giving to Abraham. So Paul's saying, hey, if we're going to talk about that, there's people coming to you and saying, you don't understand the Old Testament. This is what's really required. Paul grew up as a Jew and uh, did a lot of learning. And he's like, hey, I can talk to you about the Old Testament. And the passage right before this, he's just been quoting the Old Testament, how the Old Testament says the law isn't enough, that we're not sufficient to follow it, that that it's the hearing of faith that is where life is promised. And here he continues uh, to go further in that. <laughs> Say this promise uh, given to Abraham uh, is one that comes to us uh, in Christ. It's the promise of the gospel. Look a few verses up, and this is how scripture has, has said it. Um, <clears throat> that God, this is verse 8, uh, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. The promise that God gave to Abraham uh, was the gospel. It's a gospel of of hope, uh, a gospel of being able to go back to paradise, but actually forward to paradise that's fully advanced in this new uh, city, uh, the new Jerusalem. It's a gospel of reconciliation to God. 
that we're not running from him anymore, but that we get to bask in his love, uh, to bask in his acceptance and approval, uh, though we've done him wrong. A gospel of joy and forgiveness that our sins been covered by Christ, a gospel of hope and of peace uh, all the way through. And the point that Paul's making in these verses is simply that God's promise is still valid. Uh, that, that everything that you know about the law and all the ways that it hits it and whatever these people can say, brought, drawing things up from the Old Testament, if God made a promise, then what his promise is true and nothing can change that. Uh, nothing can make it void. Nothing can make, it could invalidate it. Think of it this way. Um, God's not a kindergartner. If you're, if you're around some young kids, it's kind of fun. You know, you say like, oh, here's this, here's this, prom- I promise this, I promise I'll do this. And then you like go along a little bit and you're like, hey, but you, you promised me you were going to give me that candy. And they're like, well, but, but you were supposed to also join with me in reading this. And you read me, so now I don't have to, they just keep making the rules up as you go. I remember playing uh, Uno with my granddad. And then eventually my granddad would never play Uno with me because... Um, I didn't really know what the rules were, so I just wanted my granddad to play with me, and then we would just, I would just make up the rules whenever he was being able to put cards down as like, no, actually, when it's my turn, I can you know, just do go all the way through. Right? We just change things as we go along. And, and somehow we started to be afraid that God's made some big promises. He promised things that, we, that really matter and are important to us that we hope for and we long for. But can we really trust him and his promises? Is he, is he flipping on it? Is there something adding in? And, and essentially, this teaching of, of legalism of the uh, Judaizers at the time, it, it, is Paul is calling it out as if, uh, as if they're acting like God's a kindergartner. As if God would change uh, his promise that something else uh, can make it void. He's, he's like, the law, which is what they're focusing on, the law comes 430 years later after God's ratified the promise. Uh, and there's no way that that can change it. And the illustration that he uses is one of a, of a will, right? Like a last will and testament. Someone's written out their will after they've died. Um, that's been ratified. You can't come in and say, but actually, here's some other thing that would change that. And certainly not years or decades or uh, centuries later, something that would change that promise. More so because God made it and because he's committed to it. Uh, when he introduces the law, uh, he's not rejecting uh, the promise. Uh, he, he makes clear uh, for us that the, that the promise, the inheritance, doesn't, if it came uh, by the law, it's not of the promise. It's one or the other, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. So it's there that we can rely on it. Now, I think there's tons of ways where we still go and we... Uh, expect that there's things that have to be done in order for this promise to feel valid. And we take good things that we should do, that the gospel should lead us to do. Uh, The gospel leads us in thankfulness and leads us in devotion toward God, that our whole life is transformed in such a way that we love him, that we want to be in his word, uh, that we pray to him, that we speak about him in our life and with one another. Um, that we go forward in those things. It, le- it leads the way that we, uh, that we live from there. <clears throat> but what we can start to do is say, okay, since there's this sanctification, since there's this progress that we should be making if we're Christians, uh, since there's these rules that, that go along with what it maybe looks like, <clears throat> 
if I'm not doing that, do I lose, the, do I lose God's promise? Um, it is, so, so we, it's good, like, please read your Bible. I would love for you to read your Bibles more. I would love for you to pray more. But there's times what we start to do is we look at those things or we look at the absence of those things and we say, maybe this is what my relationship with God is depending on. And when that's, when that's there and you feel like you're going through the day and you're being a good Christian or you've had a few days or a few weeks or a month of being a, a good Christian, start to hope more in yourself. You're starting to say, I know God's promises, but I think, but I think I'm making it sure. I think I'm doing something that, uh, <clears throat> that undermines, that invalidates the promise, and there's something I can depend on. Or pretty quickly, when those things aren't there um, and we see things in our life that aren't consistent with the gospel. And aren't consistent with God's law, and aren't consistent with where it should uh, lead us, we go, does God's promise still matter? Is God's promise enough? Now, now yes, there, there's sometimes where you should look and say, if my life doesn't look like me loving God, then does the gospel matter to me? Am I hoping in God's promise? Uh, but when we see our failings and we see our sin and we go, if I'm not enough, then there's not hope for me, then what we're clinging to isn't the promise. We've started to add something else to it. We've started to look at something else uh, of our own actions or other rules that, that get added on as what, um, what makes it valid, um, what ultimately would, would uh, make God's law void. Right? Things like, I, I love theology. I love understanding Scripture more. That's a, that's a good thing. I hope as you get into Scripture, it leads you to ask more questions. It leads you to want to know God more. Uh, but it's very easy to then start to go, well, as I understand things, then I feel confident in God's love for me. And when I'm not getting it, when Scripture is confusing, when you read through a passage in Esther and you're like, it's a neat story, but I don't know what to do with it, you go, well, where's God's approval? Do I know it's still there? What do we cling to? Do we feel the freedom that God has said it? And if he has said a peace to us and reconciliation and hope and joy and forgiveness to us and his son, that that's enough. That we can cling to it there because God has said it and nothing I could undermine it and nothing I could change it. <clears throat> but so often we act like these other rules and laws that come in are what shape whether we're good enough. Sometimes it's just how we look at ourselves. Sometimes it's how other people look at us. Maybe that's the culture that you've come from. Uh, maybe it's your uh, crowd from high school. Maybe it's the church that you grew up with. Maybe it's your parents' approval of you. And when that's, when that's there because you feel like you're following the rules of doing the things you're supposed to do, then you think, okay, I've got something I can trust in. And if their disapproval is wiped away, if their approval is wiped away, you're going, what can I hope in? Because something else is replaced the gospel but there's a freedom for us to be able to trust what god has said and cling to it the promise is still valid the law the rules that we don't uh, fit with uh, don't make the promise can't make the promise void scripture says so first the law uh, secondly the uh, first the promise secondly uh, the law then this whole middle section, uh, he's looking at the law. Why the law? Is the law contrary to uh, the promises of God? It doesn't take very long before we start to figure out what the law is, right? We, and we come up with our rules of life, what we think it means to be a Christian. What we think it means to be a, a good person. 
uh, what we think it means to be a good student, uh, a good friend. Uh, and we, maybe we don't always pull out a list of what that is, but you've got it there in your mind, and you know when it feels like you're hitting those things, and you know when there was some standard that you missed. And here it's going beyond just the standards that we would make for ourselves, but the standards that actually come from God his law is what's being looked at here. We're going back to, to Scripture. God is actually revealing himself and revealing his glory as he gives out the Ten Commandments. It's coming from God. He's saying, here's my character. I've brought you out of Egypt. I've saved you. As you're my people, this is what you should look like. Your heart should be devoted to me alone. You shouldn't try to pretend like I'm like anything else that you know, but recognize that I'm beyond that. Uh, your time should be given toward me in worship, and it should impact all your relationships and the way you see things and the way you see other people and the way you see uh, their life and the way that you see their, your own desires. Right? Just Even all the things there in the Ten Commandments, uh, it's, it's drawing out for us. Here's the law. Well, well, why does that come? If God's saying, hey, you're my people and here's, here's things of what you want to do, why is that there? Verse 19, why is the law? Here's the things that he says. He gets pretty clear answers for us. What, what, are those, what were those rules there for? This is given from God. These are good things. These are glorious things even. Uh, it was added because of transgression. It's there because we don't do what God says. Uh, we violate his boundaries. We run away from him. We rebel against him. It was temporary. It was pointing toward the fulfillment of the promise, right? Verse 19 still is added because of transgression. When? Until when? Until the offspring had come to whom the promises had made, which he's already said is Christ. It was pointing forward uh, to Christ and his fulfillment uh, of the law, <clears throat> pointing forward to the time when he had come. And then thirdly, he says this thing, it was put in place uh, through, uh, uh, through angels by an intermediary. And here what he's doing is just helping you compare the law, not just our rules that we would create, but God's laws, laws as he's given them and comparing those to the promise that they came uh, through an intermediary, through angels, through Moses. Uh, and so they're not as direct even as the promise. Uh, but the promise came from God to Abraham that we could rely on it, promising it uh, from himself. Um, the, the law, as it describes it for us here, uh, you go down to verse uh, 21, uh, the sin we're held captive under the law. Uh, he talks about it further that it was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. <clears throat> Here's the thing about the law. Uh, we look at, we get the, we hope that we get the list of rules right. right. But if we know some of the right things even coming from God, this is how we're supposed to live. Uh, <clears throat> what the law proves to us is that we can't do it. That we're stuck in our sin. Um, a quote that I saw in one of the commentators, he says um, uh, that, that Satan wants us to try to prove ourselves by the law. Here's how I meet these standards. He wants us to prove ourselves by the law when God has given it uh, to prove us, to prove to us uh, that we are not enough, but that we need his promises. Uh, Luther uh, is glorious on Galatians uh, and how much it uh, mattered to him, mattered to the Reformation, matters to us, and understanding grace within a context of, of legalism. Uh, and he says the law isn't meant to make men better. 
It can make men worse. Uh, for us to grow in humility as we see our blundering and our failure and our inability to follow the law. And maybe you can look at the Ten Commandments and think, here are things and here's how I follow them or here's some good ways where I'm at least uh, trying toward that. Then you hear Jesus talking about it on the Sermon on the Mount and everyone's going, mm, okay, if when it goes all the way into the heart, yeah, I don't come close. Maybe it's like the rich young ruler that comes and says, Lord, what, what must I do? And Jesus says, what's the law? How do you understand it? And he describes it. And Jesus says, go do likewise. And he says, all these things I've done from my youth. He thinks, hey, I, I mean, I, I feel like there's something else that must be needed in order for me to really be secure. But all the things that I know about, I've done. And what does Jesus say to him? Go sell all that you have, give to the poor, and come and follow me. And the man went away uh, because he was rich. Um, and he's exposing in his heart his own selfishness, his own pride, his own concern for himself and what he wouldn't give up. Uh, when God himself is what he can have in a relationship with Christ, he still wants his stuff, right? But all of a sudden, the, it, it begins to show us how uh, captured we are, how imprisoned we are in sin. Where the law never gets to be here, you're, you're doing it pretty well. When you start to realize you're doing it pretty well, hey, rejoice in real things that God's doing in you by the Spirit. That's great. Uh, but when you start to hope or rest in those things, uh, you're, you're trying to invalidate the gospel and your faith is resting somewhere else. And you're starting to say God's promise isn't enough. I need something that I've done that I can look at to secure it. I've got to make up for all the ways that I haven't been there and haven't been doing it. And so now as I see some good things happen in my life, now I can be confident of God's approval. No, the law doesn't do that for you. Uh, the law is added proof that the promise is needed. That's what God is doing in giving uh, the law. It's our guardian until Christ came. Um, it's our disciplinarian. It's kind of the, the idea of the, the word um, in the context of the Greek culture there, the one that would take care of the young children to school or a lot of their times when their parents weren't there and, and being responsible for training them, particularly for correcting them and pointing out their wrongs. The gospel was that thing that kept saying, no, you're not enough. No, you're not enough. No, you're not enough. There's something more that you need. Kind of painful. Um, had it because uh, of sin. Uh, it's temporary for a time to point us for our need for Christ. Um, but it's easy for us to just realize how much we can get captured under that. Um, they're still young in college. Enjoy it. I go with it. The older I get, uh, the more I feel uh, trapped in my own mistakes. See, at any different side of life you want to look at, you can just look at my, you know, now I've lived in my house for like 12 years, and the projects that I've done but haven't finished or done poorly or haven't done just like all pile up on one another. <sighs> right? um, the patterns that I've gotten into uh, for myself and the discipline that's not there, and then it piles on and it piles on, and it's like, oh. Um, love my kids and they're great and I'm thankful for God's grace as we raise them and I try to pour myself into them but I also look and go man the practices that I haven't formed in them are the things that I haven't taught them and now I'm looking and going where's this how's this working out for them but I've already got patterns uh, deep set and it's gospel change changes things it's great but if I'm if I'm viewing myself in terms of some standard where am I I'm trapped 
I'm captured under it. Maybe you're coming not even from a perspective of God's law and scripture, of the standards that you've set or standards that you see on the culture around us, and you take up those things, and you can pour yourself into it. I don't care what it is. Maybe it's the most disciplined, best student, uh, you know, full tilt, your A's on everything, studying for everything. You're going to knock, uh, knock everything out and have job lined up, and it's all there. You'll never feel like it. Maybe you're going to take the other, other angle on it. And you're going to say, you know what? All these people put up these, uh, uh, these, these laws and these rules and restrictions, and life is about enjoying it and having fun and taking up the party atmosphere, uh, enjoying a few more drinks with friends, uh, smoking out with people, whatever other things are there. This is college. This is a time where I need to enjoy that freedom and take it up. You're going to be disappointed. Uh, I can't tell you how many students over the... Toward the end of their time at Florida State, will come and talk to me and go, man, I didn't, I didn't get what I wanted out of it. Um, sometimes they're like, hey, I was in this fraternity. It was great my first couple of years. The guys in there maybe are still great, but, man, the, the parties for all the freshmen and sophomores just don't, I don't know, that doesn't hold a whole lot of glory for me anymore. The standard that we set, this was what was going to make me happy, where did, it, where did it leave? It leaves us trapped, it leaves us catcher, it leaves us imprisoned under our sin and our inability to make life, make life right. Uh, to get the things that we hope will be the good life and be blessing to us. Uh, to earn uh, the promises or to earn God's approval or everyone else's approval or just peace and reconciliation and hope and belonging and place and community and all those things. The law is added proof that we need the promise from God. That we need the promise outside of us. The promise that was given to Abraham that spoke about his offspring. Uh, that spoke about the offspring that would come who is Jesus who stood in our place who is condemned for all of our failures against the law, all of our failures before God, who himself was perfectly righteous and righteous for us, that instead of hoping in our behavior or in our, uh, our, all the different ways that we've gone about things, instead of hoping in anything from us, we get to look at him and say, it's not me, but Jesus is enough. And he is glorious. And look at the way that he loves the people around him. Like, I wish I loved the people around me. Look at how selfishness isn't what controls him, but he gives of himself and gives of himself again and again when his best friends don't even get what's going on with him. And he continues to where he's abandoned and he's given his life and being rejected by God. Because he's fulfilling the law, because he's righteous in our place. We have hope. That there's where we can lean on. There's where we can rely on. And our inability only adds to the truth that we need Jesus. That we need God's promise. And that he's made it clear. So from the promise, the law added in that we need the promise. Uh, takes us to the impact. Uh, the glorious impact of the gospel uh, confirmed. And if you can get, as you read through Galatians and you read through chapter 3 and he started to turn toward the Galatians and where they're at and he's doing this whole argument and pulling in things from the Old Testament and talking about Abraham, it's leading up to this big conclusion that says, guys, yes, the gospel is for you. 
and you've worried about all these things and you've seen bewitched and befuddled and moved away from, from what really is the center of the gospel. But yes, the gospel hope is for you. If you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. You are heirs of the promise. The hope of the gospel, yes, is for you. It's for you who didn't even know all of God's rules and the law to be able to fulfill it. For you, especially as you've seen your own inabilities and failures of the gospel is for you. God made a promise. He set up this will, uh, if you want to put it that way, uh, and this inheritance that would come from it, and nothing else could change that. And it comes uh, through Christ. Uh, and as we would rely on Christ, it comes uh, through faith uh, in him. Verse 22, that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Look not to the law, look not to ourselves, but look to Christ and hope in him. Verse 25, now that faith has come, that law was for a time to point to Christ. We're not under that guarding anymore. We're not under the law saying, maybe you're getting close to being enough. No, you're not. No, we're, we're under a Christ to look to him. Now the faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. You have privilege of status, you have a place of belonging, uh, you have community, uh, you have hope and joy and blessing all uh, in Christ. Uh, justified uh, by faith, it says, declared righteous uh, by God through resting in Christ. And then it just does this fun thing of... Uh, so many of you who are baptized in Christ have put on Christ. If you, if you share in who Christ is, this is what baptism signifies. If, if in baptism you've been baptized into Christ, it's in this relationship with Christ, it's as if you've put on Christ. And it's kind of like the word for putting on a garment. Right? So people in RUF are trying to drum up another uh, RUF t-shirt. Every once in a while we get RUF t-shirts together. It's kind of fun. You get the t-shirt. It says RUF on it. You see a friend wearing an RUF t-shirt. You're like, hey, we got the same t-shirt. Let's all wear the t-shirt. Um, but, you know, I mean, it's fun. it's fun when you've got something that you look at and you're like, hey, we fit together. We, be we belong together. You don't think a lot of it when you're walking around campus and you see someone wearing a Florida State shirt. But if you're back home in Orlando or South Florida and someone else is wearing a Florida State shirt, it's like, yeah, yeah, we got some things in common. We know what we pull for. Uh, we're, we're feeling good about that recluding class right now. There's a certain commonality there. But when you're further away from that, you're states away. You're in Virginia or you're out in North Carolina. You see someone else with a Florida State shirt, you're like, Go Knowles. <laughs> so you got the connection there. And here's what it's like for anyone looking to God's promises in Christ. It's like they put on Christ. And here's this belonging, and here's this community, and here's this place of reconciliation and hope and, and movement toward paradise. Even in the middle of struggle and sin and in the middle of suffering, here is this hope that we put on the RF shirt. It's not an RF shirt, it's not a Florida State shirt. Put it on Christ. And so here are these Jews coming to this place where there's Jews and Gentiles together in the church. And they're saying, hey, if you really want to be part of the people of God, here's these rules that you got to follow. And Paul's saying, no, if you're in Christ, you already have your Jesus shirt on. We're all in the same thing. Look around you. It doesn't matter what race you are. It doesn't matter what the connection was to God's people. There's no privileged status or more privileged status. We're all in this together because what do we have? All we have is Jesus. And together, all we have is Jesus, and we share him with one another. 
not more privileged places. Goes to economic status, right? We still got like your social status, your economic status. Who's got more money? Who's got position? Let's talk about like free and slave in, in ancient Roman Greek society. There's a, there's a very clear, you know, a class system and where it falls. It's not in the church. No, this is a different kind of community where your, where your privilege means nothing or your low position means nothing because what you look to is Christ and Christ together. And so the slave and the free person together say, we're citizens together in Jesus. And the Jew and the Gentile say, we're together the family of God. And yes, it's a society where um, male and female have very different roles, very different privileges, and various different uh, expectations. It says no male or female. Not men are more important, though. Or, hey, women still have, you know, maybe lesser of an important place, or women should have the higher. No. All, all, the, all the differences that are true, that are real, that are around us, and we don't have to pretend are there, are not what matters when it comes to the people of God, to the promises of God, to the impact that the gospel makes. And the person who feels like they're completely failing at God's law and the person who feels like they're really getting there and they know God's law, the person who knows a lot of theology and the person that knows very little theology and take all your different things together is what they cling to is the promise of God. There's hope. There's impact. That we share the same inheritance. That we can share the same future. We can long for that and look to that together. There's a freedom to trust God's promises. Not what kind of community I can create or we can create or, or how that goes. Not whether I'm going to put my privilege above your privilege or yours among, among mine. But that God's pr promises are sure that he is fulfilling them and that that's enough. That we're freed up to start to stop trying to work on the picture that other people have of you and your social image or your economic status of what you're, what you're aiming for and how that works out, how that we're freed up from just following what we can work out in something. We're freed up because when God makes a promise, there's no sense of foreboding. There's no, does he really mean it? He's proven it in sending his son. He's proven it in sending his spirit among his people. He's proven it through history in the church, and he's proven it uh, in you and, and in me and among us and on Florida State's campus as God is at work through the gospel. A gospel message that spreads to people that like Jesus and don't like Jesus that are pretty good uh, religiously and that ran pretty far away from it. People that are conservative or liberal or Republican or Democrat that spreads in all those places and calls people together to God's promise. And we get the freedom to walk in relationship with one another and in relationship with God, knowing that his promise is true, that we would cling to that and live out of that. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we are not enough.
but your promise is enough and your son is enough. And Lord, we ask for faith that you would help us not to cling to that, that you would shape our lives and our understanding of reality that we're in as resting in your promises. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. One more song that we'll uh, sing together. If y'all want to go ahead, we'll uh, stand and sing. The church is one foundation.